So the reading uh, for today will be from Mark uh, chapter 14, from verse 1 through the verse 52. So Mark uh, chapter 14, verse 1 through 52. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or the people might riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of festival on unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he so he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asks, Where is my, my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus has told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't, you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The son of man will, will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. When he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it in you, new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the others said the same. 
they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to deeply be, dis be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, uh, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd, crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, Jesus, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. That's the word of God. Amen. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you, Andes, for praying. And um, have you ever had a huge event that you need to prepare for? Something that would take a long, long time to prepare? Maybe, maybe a few months, maybe a whole year. And uh, I have one of those things coming up soon. Many, many of you will know I work for the Salvation Army. And this year we're celebrating 100 years of, of ministry in Latvia with a bit of a break in between uh, as most things in Latvia. But, uh, but yes, in, in June we'll celebrate 100 years and it's a big event. We're preparing a lot. Um, the international leader of the Salvation Army, uh, Brian Peddle is coming and it gives us a lot of things to prepare, hotel bookings, events in public, uh, TV, radio, and newspaper interviews, meals for a lot of people, transportation, and a lot, and a lot of other smaller things. They all need to be taken care of. And uh, it's a big event, so we need to pay a lot of attention for it. We need to put a lot of time, a lot of effort into it. And you could say that we attach a great value to this event in the way that we prepare for it. It is valuable for us. And so we put our valuable time and resources into it. And now imagine that June comes and we have done none of those things. We've been living on this idea, 
we'll just go with the flow and see what happens. Would it, would it be a celebration or an embarrassment? General comes and there's nowhere to put him up for the night. People come to celebrate, but it can only happen in our buildings where no one sees us. Since we don't have a permission to use public spaces, there's no food because no one has thought about it. No other church leaders have been able to come because we haven't invited them. No one knows about it because nothing has been organized. The whole event just falls flat. We haven't given it enough value with our resources, and so the value of the event is much reduced. The celebration just isn't as valuable as it could have been. The Salvation Army will not gain as much from it as it could have. People on the streets will not know about our work. Uh, it will be bad for donations for our work, which means we'll not be able to help other people as much. It would be bad for us in terms of recognizability, which means people will not turn to us to help and they won't hear the gospel, at least from us. This celebration is a great chance for us to be visible, be seen, and thus expand. It's an opportunity to add, attach value, to gain value, to use tools that we have, a famous person visiting, a celebration, a chance to use public spaces, uh, a chance for people to mix and uh, exchange contacts and maybe start corporations. It all creates value that we would not have if we weren't preparing for this event. And something similar is happening here in the story that Ilza read to us. We can read the, verse, the first verse in Mark 14. It says, now the Passover and the festival on unleavened bread was only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus. In fact, we know that they have wanted to do this for a long time. We can look at Mark 3, uh, verse 6, which says, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. If we look at the timetables of the events that Mark writes about, at least two years have passed now since, since Mark 3. Enemies of Jesus have been plotting and scheming for two years, and now the time has come for it to happen. When we go through the Gospel of Mark, we see several times that Jesus clashed with religious authorities over time, and at some point it was too much. It was impossible for them to coexist in peace and happiness anymore, so something had to break. As it turns out, Jesus needed to die. And so we know that Jesus is going to die. And uh, what can we find out about his death? Can we prepare for it? We were talking about value. Maybe it's, why is it so significant, so valuable? Take a quick look through the verses 1, 12, 14, and 16. What is the one thing common in all those verses? One of the principles in trying to understand the text is looking for repetitive words. And here in the, on those verses, we have Passover mentioned several times. It's clear that Mark wants us to think that this has something to do with Passover. And to understand what happened at Passover, we need to look at Exodus 12, where the nation of Israel is under the rule of Pharaoh. Egyptians hate Israelites, and, and they're becoming more and more oppressive against them, up to a point that they wish to kill all the Hebrew boys. But Moses is born and survives this threat due to a combination of quick thinking from his parents and a clear miracle. 
Even more, he grows up in Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh's daughter raises him as an Egyptian. But then at one time he sees injustice and tries to step in but commits murder and has to fly, flee. Forty years pass, Moses is 80 now, and God asks him to return to Egypt to set Israelites free. After some haggling, Jesus agrees to, uh, Moses, I'm sorry, agrees to do that and goes to Pharaoh to ask him to let Israelites go. He doesn't because, well, it's a free for workforce. Why would you want them to leave? We have all these pyramids to build, he must have been thinking. To soften Pharaoh's heart, God sends 10 plagues to Egypt, each one more horrible than the other. But it, it achieves the opposite, and Pharaoh's heart is actually hardened, so the final 10th plague is the worst of them all. In Exodus 11, verses 4 to 7, we, say, we read, Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at their handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the, the Lord makes distinction between Egypt and Israel. But then how is God going to make that distinction between Egypt and Israel? Israelites have to take a lamb that is blameless with no spots, perfect in the right age and prepare it correctly. And then in Exodus 12 verses seven and eight, we read, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Sounds very silly. Why would you put the blood of a lamb on your door frames? How is that going to help anything? It will only make the house stink. But in verses 12 and 13 we see explanation. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Okay, so God will, will see the silly thing that you've done and pass over you. You must see that blood on door frames isn't something that could save anyone from anything. It is the obedience and trust in what God says that saves Israelites from the plague. And this is exactly what happens, and soon Israelites are able to leave Egypt. Eventually, after much more disobedience and struggle, they reach Canaan 40 years later. And verse 14 returns us to Jesus' days in chapter 12 of Exodus. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And this is what Israel will celebrate in a few days in Mark 14, the Passover. It is clear that Mark is connecting Jesus with the slain lamb of Passover, in whose blood people must trust for salvation. If that isn't clear for you yet, look at Mark 14, verses 22 to 24 when Jesus and the disciples are eating the Passover meal. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had 
when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Jesus already mentioned this in Mark 10, 45. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the fulfillment of Passover. But what does it mean to us? Are we supposed now to smear our door frames with blood of lambs to receive salvation? No, we are to trust in Jesus because from history we already know what happens a couple of days later. Jesus dies. The lamb is slain. That is the blood we need. And how amazing it is that if we want to escape God's punishment, we don't need to pour out our own blood. Instead, Jesus has already done this for us in our place. Passover was and still is the central celebration in the Jewish year. It is such a big deal because it reminds Jews about God's salvation. What most Jews at the time didn't realize, and many still don't, is that it was also a precursor to the ultimate Passover. The one that happened a couple of days later in the text in Mark, the one where Jesus in the la is the lamb slain. This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. The fulfillment of all the yearly sacrifices that have been going on for more than a thousand years, it's an objectively valuable event. In fact, the most valuable event in history. And so Jesus has revealed that he will die and it will be something to do with Passover. But what do people say about it? What, are, what is their reaction? And in chapter 14, we, if we read through it, we see a lot of different reactions to, to this news that Jesus is going to die soon. Let's take a look at some of them. We can look, to, uh, look at the disciples. They have been with Jesus the longest and they have heard from Jesus himself that he's going to die. But it hasn't clicked yet. And that is why in verse 27, when Jesus quoting prophet uh, Zechariah says, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The disciples react in, with indignation saying, how can you say that of us? We see Peter at the front, forefront, even if all fall away, I will not. But Jesus knows what's happening. He says, truly I tell you uh, to Peter, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter and other disciples feel so strongly about themselves because they think they have found the, the Messiah that was promised in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And they are right, of course, but they haven't fully understood Messiah's role yet. They think, like most Jews, that Messiah will never die. Instead, he will come as a mighty conqueror and set Israelites free from the Roman oppression. Messiah will be victorious. And we know from the Bible that this will come, of course but not yet. For now, Jesus must suffer. Because of this, they feel so confident about following Jesus until the end. Because of this, they are also unable to empathize with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asks them to stay awake and pray with him. Instead, they want to catch up on some sleep, even though Jesus has just said a big speech about staying awake and being vigilant, as, Jesus, as uh, Jedi explored last week. Because of this false understanding, one of them is even ready to start unrest when the authorities come to arrest Jesus. He cuts an ear off 
from one of the servants of the high, high priest. When Jesus surrenders, it finally dawns on them that this is not the Messiah they were hoping for. This one is actually going to die. And so they are scattered. So they betray Jesus. So they run away, one of them even rather suffering the shame of being naked rather than being connected with Jesus. Happily for them, when Jesus returns from death, he is ready to welcome these traitors back. He's ready to entrust them once again with the spreading of the kingdom of God. Jesus is rich in mercy. We can look at verse 28. Jesus says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And now after, G uh, after Peter has betrayed him, he thinks that that was the last thing he did to his beloved master. And we can see in Mark 16, verses 6 and 7, it says, Don't be alarmed, he, an angel, said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Imagine how Peter must have felt after hearing this. Jesus has forgiven him and re-accepted him back as his disciple. Rich in mercy doesn't cover it. There are two more groups of people that we should look at to see what sort of reactions there are for Jesus' death. Let's take a look at verses 3 to 10. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering him, her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, that she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We see two people here, an unnamed woman and Judas Iscariot. The unnamed woman comes to Jesus with a jar of very expensive perfume made of nard. It is expensive because it doesn't come from Judea. It comes from a plant which smells a bit like lavender, but it grows only in Himalaya mountain region. It's not easy to get it to Judea. And because of that, it costs roughly a year's wage for a soldier in the Roman army, which is a decent, stable post. We can put it at the cost of a brand new BMW, maybe. A decent, fairly luxurious car. She would have needed a long time to save enough money to be able to buy such a present. No wonder that some people thought it was a waste of money. It probably was. But with this action, she did something significant. She put a price tag on Jesus. She said, Jesus is so valuable for me that I want to spend all this money to take part in his life. And we can look at Judas Iscariot. 
see verses 10 and 11 again. Judas, one of the twelve, went to chief priests to betray Jesus to them. Priests promised him money. Judas actually does something very similar to the woman. In other Gospels, we read about 30 pieces of silver, which is not a small amount of money. It is around a monthly wage or a nice vacation in the Mediterranean for a week or so, if you like. Woman thought that Jesus is more valuable than a brand new car. Judas thought that Jesus is less valuable than a trip to Italy. He would rather have the money than Jesus. We can also mention fourth group of people and look at their reaction to Jesus' death. Religious authorities have been plotting Jesus' death for two years, but we see that Jesus has been in control all through this time. Priests and Pharisees are successful in catching Jesus, but only because he allows it, only because it's a part of Jesus' plan of salvation. We know that Jesus dies later in the story. We know that he rises from the death. We will celebrate his resurrection next week. So how do we, how do we react to this? You can't say nothing. It is the most important event in history. You must have a reaction. If you don't, it already is a reaction. But how will you react? What will be the value that you put on Jesus? How valuable will his death and resurrection be for you? Maybe you will be oblivious to what he offers. You will risk to find out what happens in the last minute when it might be too late. Or maybe you won't care about any of this and think that there are, more th that there are other things that are more valuable, more urgent, more pressing, more valuable. Maybe you will actually try to get rid of Jesus in your heart just to have some short-term gain, just so your conscience would stay quiet. Maybe you have already decided that this is of no worth. It will gain you nothing and you would rather have nothing doing with this. Or maybe you will sell everything just to have a part in what Jesus has done for you. Maybe it will be so valuable to you that all your savings, all your value, all your time and resources are worth it to be invested in Jesus because you realize that you will gain so much more. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for, for dying for us. Thank you for giving us so much and asking so little of us instead. We pray that we can open our hearts to you and we can put much more value than, than uh, what Judas or the disciples were able to do, but that we would follow in the steps of this woman, that uh, we would put so much value that everything else is valueless apart from you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.